Will the church go through the tribulation? Welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. You can find thorough defenses for pre-, mid-, and post-tribulation rapture doctrines and others. Today, Jim will show us that one of these pulls the book of Revelation into focus. The key is the Lord's promise, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. But who is Jesus speaking to? Here's Jim. I'm sure that any remark that I would make would be unnecessary, but I guess that's never stopped me before. You are listening to epic, I mean epic, epic themes in the news these days. Issues that have been hidden in closets and whispered clandestinely are now being spoken with great fervor and with pretty clear, pretty clear implications. Our world is headed to Armageddon. I don't know if that's clear to the body of Christ. Pondering all that this week meant, means, is divulging, anticipating our own trip to Israel here in a couple of weeks, and responding to a question that was given to me two weeks ago. With all of that in my mind, I want to give to you another key that makes the book of the Revelation very simple. You all for that? Yep. I would not have done this to you five years ago, 15, 20, 25 years ago. But I am persuaded tonight that one of the keys to the book of the Revelation is often bypassed. Okay? Turn with me, please, to the book of the Revelation in your copy of the Bible. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And note with me verse 10. Revelation 3.10. You immediately recognize that we're in the middle of the seven letters that Jesus is dictating to seven of his churches on earth. You recognize that. What is unique about this church is a promise that Jesus makes to them. And it's a promise that has validity to all seven of the churches. That's why every one of the letters has a postscript. You see it there, verse 13. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit, that's capital S, says or is saying to the churches, plural. So this is not a private little promise to the church at Philadelphia. It is a promise to the churches, and that includes all true believers in every age since Pentecost. Those are the churches. Look at verse 10. Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I 
am coming quickly. Now I want you to note that verse carefully. It's a prophecy from the lips of Jesus that there is an hour yet in the future as he spoke. An hour that would be global, universal. Everyone would be affected. Everyone on the earth will be affected. Notice he says very, very carefully that it is a test. It is a test to those who live on the earth and the whole world is involved. This hour of testing that is going to come over the whole world to test those who live on it is described in Revelation chapters 6 through 19. I want you to grab that. I want you to think about that. It's global. It's coming. Jesus knows it's coming, and his purpose is to test. When this period of, then this hour, this period of testing is done, only one group of people will remain standing on the earth. All who fail the test will be gone. Can I say that any simpler, any clearer? When the test period is over, when the hour has run its course, this hour Jesus is talking about, only those who pass the test will be left standing. All others, all other humans who were living on the earth through this test are going to be dispatched. Second thing I want you to notice is that Jesus is making a promise to the church and churches that is precious indeed. He says, because you have kept my command to door, I will also keep you from. That word from comes from the Greek ek, two letters, E-K, ek. It means out of. It does not mean through. It does not mean during. It does not mean in. Those three definitions were available for Jesus to use if that's what he wanted to say. The definition ek means out of, not through, not during, not in. With this verse, Jesus has forever put his stamp upon the rapture of the church and when it must take place. I want you to see that tonight. Because if you get the rapture right, this book will take on a whole new meaning to you. You will read chapters 4, 5, 6, all the way down, all the way down through chapter 19 with a clear, with a clear sense of confidence and peace because you're not going to be here. If, on the other hand, you become clouded or you become confused and you do not grasp what Jesus is saying here, 
then this book can give you nightmares. And questions that come to your mind can trouble you and seal your peace. The question that was posed was, uh, Pastor Jim, tell us about the rapture. Do you believe it's pre, mid, or post? Now those three definitions represent three different positions. There are believing Christians who hold each of them. Here's what they mean. Do you believe that the rapture is going to take place pre, before the tribulation? Do you believe the rapture is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation? Do you believe the rapture is going to take place after, after the tribulation? Got it? This verse says there's only one answer biblically to that question, and it's pre. You are going to be kept from, kept out of that hour. Now notice it doesn't say that you're going to, you're going to be free from tribulation and stress all your life. It's talking about a time period. It's a promise that you will be, you will be removed, you will be taken, you will be, you will be unpresent, not present in the tribulation that's talked about. Now, let's, let's begin with definitions. First of all, it has, it has bothered me for a number of years that we use the word pre-tribulation because when Jesus used the word tribulation, he talked about the great tribulation, which is the second half of a seven-year period. The first half, there will be things that will be troubling, but you could say that in comparison to the second half, the first half really isn't tribulation. Now, our forefathers understood that. They thought that all seven years were times of tribulation, and there's a sense in which that's true. But there are two other words that I would choose if I were writing the doctrine. I would say that this verse says that we are delivered out of the 70th week of Daniel. That is the most precise biblical language you can use. Because that seven-year period that begins in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, that seven-year period that goes all the way through to Jesus Christ returns is exactly the period of time that Daniel was instructed back in Daniel chapter, I think it's chapter 9, where Daniel received the vision of the 70th week, the 70 weeks. Now, what Daniel was told back in those days by Gabriel, Gabriel said, Daniel, God has established his agenda. His agenda calls for a period of 77s. Hang on. This time period is set aside by God for his direct dealing with your people, Daniel, the Jews, and your holy city, Jerusalem. Very specific. Here's when it's going to start. 
And 69 of those 77s, those week of years, are going to conclude just before Messiah is crucified. That leaves one more period of seven. That period, the 70th of the 70, the 70th, the last, will be divided into two parts. It will begin by a covenant between the leader of the revised Roman Empire. That leader will make a covenant with your people, Daniel, for a period of seven years. In the middle of that period, he's going he's gonna to change completely. And he's going to go into the temple in Jerusalem, which will be built, and he's going to desecrate the temple. The last half of that seven years, that last three and a half year period, he is going to rule the world under the satanizing power of the dragon himself. And then God will have finished his program dealing with the Jews and Messiah will physically return to the earth. Now, what Jesus is telling us here in chapter 3, verse 10, is that this seven-year period, so familiar from Daniel's discovery or Daniel's revelation, uh, spoken about briefly by Jesus in his answer to the question, what is the sign of your coming? This seven-year period out there is the hour of God's dealing with the Jewish nation. That's his primary agenda. That's what Gabriel said. In order to accomplish that, God is going to send two very special evangelists, witnesses. They will be Jewish. And for the first half of that seven-year period, that hour of tribulation, which will test the earth, these two will be powerful witnesses. Incredible things they're going to accomplish. At the midpoint, they're going to be killed. And it's interesting, after three days and three nights, their bodies are going to be resurrected. And while the world watches, they are going to be raptured. Same word. You'll hear that word in just a minute. Their bodies, they are going to be raptured directly to heaven. And the world will watch that take place. When they're gone, Satan and his minions are going to corrupt the world in indescribable ways. And Jesus will return ultimately because he's the only one that can deal with that level of mischief and that level of deception. So the correct term is for the hour that is coming to test all the world is the 70th week of Daniel. We know all about it from Daniel. We know about it from Jesus. We know about it from Paul's references to it. And we know about it in chapters 5 or chapter 6 all the way through to the chapter 19. Now this is a promise that the church will not experience that. 
Now, how does the church get out of the world before that starts? Well, that experience is called the rapture. I've been listening carefully to discussions about the rapture, and there are some things that maybe we have forgotten. Let me take you to the primary passage where the rapture is discussed, where it's described, make several comments, and then go back and show how this helps in the book of the Revelation. Okay? Turn to 1 Thessalonians, which is, aside from the book of Galatians, the first, or it's actually the second epistle that Paul wrote. So it's early in his ministry, and he writes this letter to the Thessalonians, and he says, he says in verse 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, listen to it, the Lord himself will descend from heaven. That means that the Lord is in heaven before this event takes place. He's going to descend from heaven. He's going to descend with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God. Has anybody ever tried to convince you that the rapture is going to be secret, quiet, hidden? Doesn't sound like to me. Sounds to me like this is going to be a very provocative experience. We're not just going to sneak out. Jesus is going to descend from heaven and create a lot of noise. A lot of noise. Look at it again. Jesus shouts, whether he does that with the arch archangel's voice or whether that's a second is not clear from the text. And there is going to be the trumpet of God. Now, that's pretty impressive. And it's certainly not what you'd expect of a silent, secretive kind of experience. I think what Paul is saying is God is very deliberate in this, in this event. And God is not ashamed about what he's doing. And God is going to send a shockwave through the world with this experience. So let's track. Jesus is going to descend from heaven, go make a lot of noise, a lot of noise. And when he does that, look at the verse, the dead in Christ will rise first. That means resurrection. That means that every brother and sister in Christ who trusted him as Lord and Savior since Pentecost is a part of the body of Christ. It's very clear in the New Testament that that's a distinct relationship that New Testament believers under the new covenant share with Jesus. We are saved. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and he places us in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, that's a lot of people. And the text says that when Jesus creates his heavenly commotion, to use an analogy that maybe will help you remember, when people are looking up, suddenly the ground under them is going to be emptied of the bodies of every New Testament believer.
everyone. That's a host of bodies. Look up with me earlier, please, in verse 14. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way God will bring with him. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with Jesus. That means that when Jesus descends from heaven, he's not coming alone. He's bringing with him the host, the host of his body. We could even say the most of his body. Compared to the number of believers living on the earth right now, that's a vast multitude. They've died for their faith. They are comfortable. They're at home with Jesus. That's where they are. Their souls and spirits, their bodies are in the grave. They're coming with Jesus. God will bring them with Jesus when Jesus returns. There will be a resurrection of the body. That means that all of the folks who've died and their bodies are now in some form of decay, some form of dust. No problem. No problem. Jesus by his command, the Father, by the power of the Spirit, will recreate all of those bodies, bringing them out of the grave, just like God did for Jesus in his grave. Dirt's no problem. I, I, I personally doubt that you're going to be able to go out in the cemetery and see all these holes. That's no more necessary than it would have been for them to have to open the stone or move the stone for Jesus to walk out. By the time the stone was moved, Jesus was already out and about. Because in the resurrection body, we're no longer dependent upon physical restrictions. That's the difference. Jesus could walk through walls. He could walk through stone. He did walk into rooms that were locked. Here's the point. All of these people are going to be resurrected. Their bodies are going to come out of the grave. Their soul and spirit's going to unite with them. That's very powerful stuff. If we find an interpretation of Scripture that helps us understand other things in the Bible, that's a pretty good indication we're on the right track. And Jesus coming back for the church before he returns to deal with the devil, the Antichrist, and the rebellious world pulls a lot of puzzle pieces into place. Jim's sermon is called Kept from the Hour, and we heard part one today. If you'd like to have the message on CD, we'll send it to you for a gift of $7 or more. It's one of nine talks in the series called With John on the Isle of Patmos. And for a donation of $34 or more, you can have the whole CD album. You may have noticed that there are no commercial breaks in Right Start, no sponsor mentions. That's because we're funded by listener contributions alone. Your support keeps Right Start going out over the air and on the internet, too. To our giving and praying family, God bless you for your generosity. And if you'd like to help, you can write us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA. Or call 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. And please visit our website. It's rightstartradio.org. 
You can play radio programs from the site, or you can have new ones come to you automatically each day through the Right Start podcast on iTunes. We'll give you a link. If you want to enjoy Jim's sermons without interruption, you can play or download those for free. You can make a donation, email us, and more at rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. So if we're right about a pre-tribulation rapture of the church, how does the rest of the Revelation timeline fall into place? We hope you can be here again for Wednesday's Right Start. Thank you.